the shepherds and the angels. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Uh, We are in our second week of our uh, short sermon series on Advent season. Uh, Last week, Chris walked us through hope. Let me pray real quick for us before we get going. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for the promises you make in your word. I thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you this Sunday with these members of your body, your church. God, I ask that you would, that your peace would dwell in us. That we would find a way to rejoice in who you are and what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, during the Bosnian War, a bomb exploded in Sarajevo, and it killed 22 people waiting in line for bread. 22 women and children died waiting in line for food. Before that point, Sarajevo was known as this beautiful, rustic, small town but it had been broken up and divided through uh, propaganda that was causing division among ethnic lines. When this had happened, a cellist named Vedran Smelinevo, he saw that the 22 people had died and he didn't know what to do about it. After all, he's, he's just a cellist, right? Like he's not a politician, he's not some epic leader, he's not an affluent, uh, you know, entrepreneur or anything like that. So what, the cellist of Sarajevo decided to do is that he would play 22 concerts in honor of the 22 people who lost their lives. And what he did, though, is he put on a full tuxedo and crawled into the rubble and the debris and the craters of where bombs were going off in his city. And that's where he set up shop and he would just play adagio in G minor. And the thing was, is that people were so afraid of what was going on that like nobody wanted to leave their home. They're afraid of being bombed. They're afraid of their own neighbors. But as they heard this music echoing off of the decay of the war, they started to come outside and they would listen to him play and they would cry together. They would pray together. 
they would begin talking to one another. The political powers at the time saw his act as a political protest, and they actually ended up exiling him out of the country. But the concerts of the cellist of Serenavio became a source of healing for his neighbors. Sarah Groves, the songwriter, talks about this, and here's what she has to say. His beautiful protest became a mobilizing metaphor for me. It's easy to stand around a bombed-out crater and talk about the crater, how it got there, who's to blame for it, and all its particulars. It is much harder to stand at the edge of it, to step past down at the edge of it, sorry, down into the middle and say or make or do something generative. You could say that the cellist of Sarajevo brought a kind of peace to his city. You see, the word peace in the Old Testament is shalom. And when we think of the word peace, we tend to think that what it simply means is the absence of war. But actually, peace in the Old Testament means more than that. It's not just the absence of something, it's also the presence of something else. When you talk about shalom in the scriptures, what it means is something that is complete or whole or perfectly put together. As an example, if you looked at a wall and there was bricks missing and cracks in the wall, you would look at that wall and you would say, that wall does not have shalom. But to repair the wall, to bring back the missing bricks and to seal up the cracks, you would bring it to a place of shalom. It's not much different than like a beautiful mosaic with all of its proper parts put together. Or think about the Garden of Eden, right? There's complex pieces moving around and yet everything was perfectly well and good. The Garden of Eden before the fall was in a state of shalom. Or to put differently, shalom is also considered in the Old Testament a way, a state of being. So like if you were in the Old Testament and you saw somebody walking down the street, you probably wouldn't ask them, how are you? What you would ask is, how is your shalom? Is everything working well for you? Are your relationships together? How's work? How's business? Is it all together? Or again, in Proverbs, as another example, Proverbs talks about healing broken relationships by talking about bringing them back to a state of shalom. And then lastly, in the Old Testament, when two rival kingdoms were at war with one another and they declared peace, it wasn't just that they stopped warring with one another. It also meant that they actually started working together for the good of one another. They were now in a place of shalom. So this is why I say that the cellist of Serenhevo began to bring shalom to his neighbors when he crawled down into the crater and played that song. So the question for us is, what does it look like to live in a state of shalom in our day in 2021 in Orange County? We're going to look at three areas of peace. We're looking at uh, peace in our hearts, peace in our communities or in our city, and then peace with God. If you guys have your Bibles, you can follow along. We're going to start with shalom in our hearts. Colossians 3.15, if you're there, or if you want to hop on over there, we're going to spend a few minutes in it. Here's Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ 
rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The question for us this afternoon is, would you take a survey of your life right now and conclude that the peace of God rules in your hearts? Does the peace of God rule in your hearts? If you guys remember the sermon on Psalm 23, we explored the reality that our lives are designed, created by our culture and our influences around us to put us in a state of always desiring and wanting something that we don't have. Our hearts are always longing for more. Our culture is always telling us that like joy and satisfaction and peace is just around the corner of consuming more, obtaining more, experiencing more, or having more of a relationship with something that you don't currently have. I mean, if you think about it, like our cell phones, I heard it said recently that your phone, while you own it, it doesn't work for you. Our phones actually work for the companies who build the apps that are on top of them. And those apps are designed to make us want something. So if you want to know how much time we are being spent conditioning to desire, look at your screen time. Because that is exactly why we have these phones in our pockets. They're made to make us want more. Western culture is designed to make us desire. And unfortunately, what it's done is it's caused us to live these relentlessly busy lives. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says it like this. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy our desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires and infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness, or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all of which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. You guys feel that? Can that, like, do you guys relate to that? He goes on to say that busy is violence on the soul. Violence on the soul. So then we think about like Christmas season, right? With all of its good and fun things, like you guys know, I love Christmas season. I love the Christmas music. I love all of, like all of it. it. This is my time of year. But in the middle of Christmas season, here is God inviting us to reflect and rejoice and experience a sense of peace. And now in more of a time than ever, like our lives continue to speed up. Sometimes with a lot of good things, all the fun parties and presents and shopping and shows and family, like all fun things, but nonetheless, it does tend to make us more busy, with, which brings about for some of us at some time a sense of like restlessness. And if you think about Jesus's life in the middle of the busiest, craziest season that he ever had, like 
entrepreneurs, business individuals, you guys can relate to this. Like if you think about Jesus's ministry, it was blowing up. Like things were going really, really well. And his disciples were super capitalistic about this situation. Like, man, everywhere we go, people want to hear you talk. They want something to do with you. We're being invited here. We should go there. Like they wanted to put their feet on the gas or their feet on the camel. I don't know, whatever they were doing back then. But Jesus, like they would turn to Jesus and they'd be like, let's go. Like we need to take advantage of this momentum that we're experiencing in this ministry. And Jesus was like, you know what? I think I'm going to take a 45-day hike. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, we got to take advantage. People are paying attention. We're gaining followers. They're doubling and tripling by the day. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I think I'm going to go hang out with my dad for a little bit. Like, even Jesus understood in his incarnate state, mind you. Incarnate, of course, means... Uh, God in the flesh, 100% God, 100% human. Even God, incarnate state, understood that rest was required in order that he could experience peace. John Mark Comer says this in that book too. Corey Ten Boom once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. There's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. (laughs) You know, I think if we're honest and we explore why we like to be so busy, I think what we'll realize is that oftentimes we stay busy to avoid pain. I think at times, like, we're afraid that if we slow down, our minds will get flooded with the reminders of all of the hurts that we've felt, of the losses that we've experienced, of the relationships that we've had that no longer have, of the mistakes we wish we could take back, of the things that we wish we or feel like we should have accomplished at this point in our lives but haven't. You see, busy is... We almost use it as like this drug to numb us from the pain. But like John Mark Comer said, it's an exhausting cycle of running rather than resting in his peace. And ultimately, busy ends up keeping us from the very thing that we need, which is the glory of God. What we actually need to do is rest and reflect on God's glory. Because his glory is where we will find peace. It's almost, it's like this. Our kids are right now in our super fun season. The girls are uh, taking horse riding lessons and like going and watching them is a blast. They're just smiling a ton. Uh, And then Levi's taking Taekwondo class, which is like one of the cutest things to like, Seeing like four to eight-year-olds try to punch, is, it's pretty good. There's this one kid in his class, uh, really sweet kid, and you get the sense that he's dying for adult attention. Because like his mom brings him and she brings her computer and so she's just sitting there cranking away and he's like doing his moves and he looks over at her and she's unfortunately just never looking up. And then the other day for the first time, the dad brought him and same thing, he brought his computer with him and he was sitting there cranking away at work and like he just kept trying to get his attention and it just wasn't happening. And I'm not even, like not even trying to judge. 
you can, like, someone could say, well, we don't, we don't know. Like, maybe this is what it takes for them to pay the bills, right? Although, side note, I do happen to know they drive two really nice cars, live in a really nice house, and have a six-person golf cart. So at some point, you got to be like, man, like, do you think that in 20 years from now, they're going to be like, I am so glad we had a golf cart back in the day. Or do you think in 20 years, they'll look back and be like, man, I wish we paid more attention to our kids. But again, I'm not actually, I'm not even judging them because actually I see myself in them because that's me. That's me with God's glory. We're like, God's glory is here. And I'm like, cool, God, great job. You're doing really good. You're super glorious. And just like paying attention to whatever is not glorious. It's ultimately how I treat God. I tend to ignore his glory. It's kind of like this background noise that I every now and then have a moment to look up and appreciate. Look at verse 14. Here's what the angels declare to the shepherds in the verses that Linda just read. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, that's the thing is that the nature of God's glory is so amazing, so awesome, and so magnificent. And the thing is, is that you and I were made for his glory. And the more that we gaze upon it, the more that we experience it, the more that we drink from it, the more peace we will have and in our lives. We were designed to enjoy the glory of God. And the shepherds in verse 8, they get this. And mind you, like, the verse says that Jesus, or that the angels came to them in the middle of the night. Like, if you want to talk about busy, like, if you and I put in 50 hours a week, like, that was a really good week, right? The shepherds were 24-7. Like, they lived their jobs. They were busy individuals. And the angels show up and be like, hey, the glory of God has revealed itself in a baby. And what do they say? Verse 15, they're like, they look at each other like, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They wanted to see. And what did they find? They found that the glory of God was a baby. Like, wrap your head around that for a minute. The glory of God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of it all, the glory of God as a baby as a little baby lying in a manger, nothing hits home more for me to reflect on the incarnation than thinking about God as a baby. Tim and I uh, got lunch this week and I got to swing by their house and get to see little baby Merritt eating and like, baby's eating is the best because it's like half finger, half food. You know what I mean? When they're like, ah, it's just... I love it with the little fingers and the little toes. It's just, it's the best. Like, I love babies. And like, think about, like, think about God incarnate as a baby the next time you're interacting with someone's little one or the next time you're holding one. Like, think about that. Like, what's the number one rule about holding another person's baby? What is it? Don't drop it? Yeah, don't drop the baby, right? If you don't do that, like if you can accomplish that, it was a successful baby holding situation. 
Think about this, though. Like, think about meeting Mary at, like, the synagogue, and you're like, oh, who's this little fella? And Mary's like, uh, Emmanuel, God with us? I'd be like, there you go. Because, like, not a sin that you want to confess, dropping God. That's not my jam. What's my point? It's this. is that culture is telling us that in order to find peace, we got to earn it. But we know that that is an endless cycle that ends in defeat. Buddha would say that peace is found by letting go of your desires. Buddhism would say that the reason why you're not happy is because there's a gap between what you have and what you want. And if you just stop wanting those things, then you erase the gap and then you're happy. But the scriptures... And Jesus says that the problem isn't that we are desiring, it's that we're desiring the wrong thing. And peace is found when we desire the glory of God more. The shepherds said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Guys, family, do you see this thing that has happened? Do you see God incarnate? Because when we see him, when we reflect on him, we reflect on his glory, and there is where we will find peace. Our hearts are this broken mosaic with all of this angst and stress and uncertainty and I think what the scriptures are telling us is that the more we begin to look to God, the more it begins to become shaped and put back together so that we, like that wall, could be whole and complete so that we could know shalom. I mean, listen to Jesus himself. This is Jesus speaking about this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Man, my prayer for you guys this last week is that that would be like a healing bomb to your souls. Dwight Moody says it like this. A great many people are trying to make peace, but it's already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. Let's talk about shalom in the city. Because the thing is, is that as we, as we look to Christ as our source of peace, he will bring shalom to our lives we will be put back together and we will be made whole and complete. And the thing is, the glory of God, as it restores us, he restores us and then sends us out into the community, into our city to be peacemakers, to be instruments of restoration, to bring shalom into the communities around us. Matthew 5, 9 says it like this. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. We are 
invited to go to work with our Father in heaven who's in the business of restoration and reconciliation. We are invited to care for both the spiritual and physical needs of our neighbors. God desires to make us a kind of people that does this, set apart for his good work, which means very practically, wherever there is pain, wherever there is need, wherever there is a child hungry, wherever there's an elderly person alone, wherever a teenager is struggling, wherever there is injustice, that is where God wants us. He wants us to be a source of peace and shalom for the people around us. He invites us to put to death our self-ambition and self-preserving way of living and instead be others-oriented. Because the thing is, is that all around us are these broken mosaics, these broken situations, and he calls us peacemakers. He wants us to go out into the world and bring shalom back into it the way it was meant to be. He wants us to go to work with our Father in heaven to do his work. But the thing is, this does not work unless you are experiencing the glory of God. Because if you try to seek after shalom while you're empty, while you don't have it yourself, it'll exhaust you, it'll break you down, burn you up. It's like this, it's like we're these cups that were broken and that were leaky. And when God's glory comes in, it restores us and makes us whole. And then his glory begins to fill us up. But his glory is so great that eventually that cup is going to overflow. It's going to overflow into the lives of the people that are around us. But it cannot be done well. It cannot be done for his glory, their good or ours, unless we're, t we're doing this from a state of experiencing the peace that God has for us. And shalom is, is like, our calling is in big ways, like seeking out justice. But it's also in the small little interactive ways. In the small little experiences of everyday life, we, we can be peacemakers for the people around us. Like, think about Christmas season right now in retail. Is it peaceful? Like, you know, have you guys ever seen those videos of like, guys on boats and they're like holding food over like 10 crocodiles and they drop them and then it's like this crazy feeding frenzy. That's like Target right now to me. It's crazy in there. Or like even the gas station, the last two or three times I filled up, it was like every single one of them was full. And I'm like, y'all are paying $5 a gallon. Why are you here all the time? I don't understand it. And the thing is, is like everyone is a little on edge right now. Like everybody, when we go out there into the feeding, feeding frenzy, like everyone has one thing in mind. I need to get my thing done as quickly as possible and then get back to my safe zone, the home, right? And the best we can do is just like be patient and polite. But the thing is, what if the King's Cross family did things a little bit differently? Like what if in the middle of the Christmas season chaos, we wanted to be a blessing to the people around us. We slowed down and like looked at the cashier, the barista, and sincerely asked them, how's your day going? 
What if we were a source of shalom in the midst of the Christmas chaos? My, um, as some of you know, my little sister passed away four years ago last month. Uh, many of you guys knew her because she used to attend our church. Um, those of you who didn't, she was a very sweet, kind, and uh, just a gentle spirit. Um, she also struggled with depression. And the thing about depression is that it often will invite you, tempt you to isolate yourself, which when you're experiencing that, it's like the worst thing that you can do for yourself is isolation. So at one point, my little sister Jay, with all of her bravery, decided to get a job at Disneyland to try to combat the isolation. And uh, it worked most times. She'd come home and like ask her how her day was, and she said it was great. Like they had a lot of fun. She got to talk to a couple of kids who were having like the best time of their lives. But she would also call me at times crying because of the way like people interacted with her or treated her. Like, their bad day was her fault. And I try to think about that as I experience retail during the Christmas season. And I invite you to do the same thing, because the thing is, is like, you and I, we don't know. Like, we don't know if the barista or the cashier cried themselves to sleep the night before and struggled to find a reason or a purpose to get out of bed that morning. And there we are, God putting us in their lives for a 45-second interaction. And yet, we've got an opportunity to bring peace and shalom in these small little ways. God wants to bring these overflowing cups of peace into the world. But here's the thing, and this is our last point, it's shalom with God. All of this that we've been talking about, peace in our hearts and peace in our communities, it all hinges on whether or not you have peace with God. And that's because in every human being, there is this propensity to wage war. War with others, war within ourselves, and war with God. Albert Camus, the existential author, once said, I rebel, therefore I exist. And he agrees with Paul in Romans, who says, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God's. That's the thing, is that it is our natural tendency as human beings to rebel against God. Like our ignoring and denial of God's glory is not a passive thing that we do. It is a declaration of war against our creator who designed us for glory and goodness. And that's the thing, like there's a lot of questions about God's wrath. And if you're new here, or if you haven't heard it before, we want to be the type of community, the kind of church that invites tough questions as we struggle in our faith. Some of us have been there before. We want to be a, a safe place where you can do that. But let me just say this, that as we ask the questions about the wrath of God, we have to remember, we have to frame it in such a way that helps us remember that God did not declare war on us. We declared war on him. 
And as we sung earlier, Jesus being born is a declaration of war on sin and death, but it's also an invitation to peace and reconciliation between us and God. He is inviting his enemies to become his family. Philippians 2 verses 6 and 8 gives us the reason why God in all of his glory would decide to become a little baby in a manger. Here's what it says. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, the thing is, is that we cannot understand the power of the cross if we have yet to grasp the reality of the incarnation. Because the incarnation of Jesus is what makes the cross such a scandalous thing. Because think about it. Look up here, King's Cross. That same baby, that same precious, perfect, innocent baby that was in the manger is the same precious, beautiful, perfect Jesus that hung on that cross for us. In our... Uh, in our podcast on Advent, Alyssa said something that I haven't been able to stop thinking about. She pointed out that Jesus being born in a barn means that his first breath of life would have been filled with the smell of cow manure. Like, let that sink in for a minute. God becoming the most vulnerable thing possible, the baby of Bethlehem, God born in a barn, the creator in a cradle, so that he would be our prince of peace. And he, he breathes in cow manure and then goes on to experience all of the human frailty that we experience, like sickness and pain and suffering and death. And then he would also experience the fullness of the wrath of God so that you and I could have peace with God. In the same way that the cellist of Sarajevo brought peace by crawling into the rubble and debris, Jesus crawls, steps across that line and crawls into our war-torn lives and plays the song of the gospel inviting his enemies to become family and bringing shalom between us and God, shalom in our hearts, and then inviting us to be peacemakers, to bring shalom into the world and around us. Let's do that this Christmas evening together, okay? Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, We'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.